You're listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast with Dr. Cameron Marshall. Ask Concussion Doc is a show where we answer your questions about concussions, treatment, and rehabilitation to help practitioners better manage these injuries. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Ask Concussion Doc. Today, I have a special guest, buddy of mine and an employment lawyer. Today, we're going to be talking about employment law with respect to concussion, knowing your rights. This has been a highly requested topic from people in the past, and so I'm happy to be able to bring you uh, this topic. Uh, my guest today is Lewis Quayle, who's a founding partner of Quayle Wharf and Crater LLP, practices personal injury law, disability, and employment law in Ontario, Canada. Uh, he began his career as a prominent uh, insurance defense firm in uh, Toronto, representing insurance companies in personal injury disputes. In 2015, transitioned to representing plaintiffs at a personal injury and employment firm in downtown Toronto. Uh, Lewis helped that firm grow from having one location and three lawyers in 2015 to three locations and 17 lawyers when he left in 2021. He represents clients with an emphasis on educating them to make the best decisions possible for their specific needs. You can find him at L Quail, that's Q U A I L at K W or Q W K lawyers.com. Uh, 416 7950683 is the phone number. That again is 416 7950683. I'll do this at the end as well. And their website is Q W K lawyers.com. Lewis, what's up, awesome. buddy? Thank you. Uh, not much. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, thank uh, Okay, just, so yeah, thank, thanks for having me on. I know, uh, I know we've been talking about it for a while, and I know you've been doing this podcast for a while. And I think it's just a good opportunity to reach out to some of your audience, who I know is a variety of clinic owners and people uh, who have had concussions or other injuries. Um, so I, I'm excited to provide uh, some additional information about the law and what the rights might be, um, both as you know in those situations, in those circumstances, as, as clinic owners, as clinicians, and as, uh, as uh, people who may be suffering from uh, various symptoms. So thanks. Right, right. So just, just as a caveat before we get going, I just want to point out that you are located in Ontario, and so there may be some jurisdictional differences, and we know that. So if you're in the States, you're, you're going to want to check with a lawyer in, in your area. Um, but many of these things will be somewhat similar jurisdiction to jurisdiction. So it's just important to make sure you check uh, with somebody in your area to make sure what's best uh, for you. So I just want to keep that caveat before we get started. And so Lewis practices in Ontario. So most of the stuff will be kind of indicative of, of Ontario um, Ontario law. So, uh, and I know just if I could add also on top of that, this isn't, uh, this isn't official legal advice, you know, if, especially if you are outside of Ontario, like uh, Cam said, um, the law varies. So if you do find yourself in one of these situations, you should consult with a lawyer and get official legal advice from a lawyer in that, that area. But I, I think generally in this area, it is typically, it's similar across jurisdictions, but it's not, it's not all the same. Right on. Okay. Let's, let's dive into it. So I, I'm going to kind of like hit you with a, with one, like right off the bat that I think is a little bit of a contentious issue, but people with acute concussion symptoms, and I've had this before from patients where they are unable to work. They have these symptoms. It's tough for them to work. They have headaches, they have dizziness, they have all these other issues and they're off of work and their employer is 
basically saying like, if you can't work, like we're going to have to let you go or, you know, threatening with some sort of basically like termination. Is that, is that okay? Like, can they do that? Like, what are your rights in that, in that situation? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I guess it's a big question. Um, and um, again, just speaking to the law in Ontario, um, you know, everyone is um, free. They're protected from discrimination um, on various grounds. Um, and that protection extends to uh, discrimination in the workplace. Uh, in Ontario, we have a human rights code and um, it identifies various um, groups that are protected from discrimination. Um, and those groups, um, those listed groups include things like, um, you know, discrimination based on age, gender, uh, sexuality, um, ethnic origin, color of your skin, but also disability. Uh, so disability, um, and specifically concussion, people suffering from concussion, those people are protected from being discriminated against um, in the workplace because of their, um, their concussion or disability. And just uh, backing up to, you know, what is discrimination, I guess, is the most basic thing. Um, so discrimination is the treatment of someone based on a characteristic uh, that puts them to a detriment to other members uh, of society because of that characteristic. So um, it's treating someone differently uh, because of their disability that would put them to a detriment um, to other opportunities that uh, people without a disability um, might have available to them. So um, if someone is injured and or has a concussion and they're they're really struggling to get back on their feet and their employer is telling them to uh, to come back to work. Um, they don't necessarily have to do that if they can establish that or if there's um, if there's support that because of their disability, they cannot do the tasks of their employment. Um, if the employer forced them to do all the tasks of their employment in the face of this evidence that they have a disability, um, then that employer could face a, a, a claim against them for discrimination because they're forcing them they're, they're, they're forcing them to um, to return to employment when they can't. Um, when an employer becomes aware of uh, an employee's inability to do their job because of disability, um, they it triggers a certain duty. And they have a duty to accommodate that employee. Um, if the employee is having concussion symptoms and says, you know, look, boss, I can't return to my desk job because I can't stare at a screen for five hours a day, that employer has a, an obligation to try to accommodate um, that disability. And if they fail to do that, that's discrimination on a ground of disability, um, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, it, it does. And this happens all the time. Like this happens all the time. I've had this with patients all the time. Um, and even the ones that may not be necessarily facing termination, but just, you know, trying to get back or they can't sit in front of a, in front of a screen. Like at what point does this become discrimination versus like, look, man, they can't do the job. Yeah. So I guess, um, I guess the, they are protected as having a disability. And that's where discrimination comes, comes into play. 
Um, if, if someone's having concussion symptoms, they have a disability, they need to notify their employer. And then their employer has a duty to accommodate that disability. And that's kind of the way it works. And then the question is, uh, you know, uh, what, what constitutes a reasonable accommodation and how far does that accommodation have to go? Um, the duty on the employer to accommodate is not an absolute one and it's not an infinite one. It, it does have, it is limited. And that limit is um, they have to accommodate the employee to the point of suffering uh, undue hardship to their business. Um, so again, if you, if you look at the staring at a screen example, if you have a concussion and you can't stare at a screen for a certain amount of time, let's say your job requires you to stare at a screen for five hours, uh, but you can only stare at a screen for three hours. Um, if the employer can uh, accommodate that, and you know you can still fulfill your duties by staring at a screen for three hours instead of five, whether it be by you know taking breaks or doing a different role for a bit or having someone else cover you for a bit. And that accommodation does not cause them to suffer undue hardship, meaning you know, and there's different factors to consider for undue hardship, but like it doesn't cause them to go out of business or lose millions and millions and millions of dollars or. Um, um, put others' safety at jeopardy, then that employer has to make those accommodations and has to allow the employee to reduce the screen time or whatever the case might be. Um, right. And what 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 type of so like what type of documentation would you need in order to get these these accommodations? Like, do these accommodations have to be, you know? you know, suggested by, let's say a neurologist or something, or can it be um, just what the patient determines they want, or does this have to have some sort of medical, you know, determination as to what these yeah. are? So I would, I would say if, if you are in a situation where, um, where you're injured and you're having difficulty performing your, your task, it creates like, it creates a tension between you and your employer, right? Uh, you're unable to fulfill your um, employment obligations um, that are required and your employer wants you to do that. Um, so there's a possibility of getting into some sort of legal dispute right from the outset. So I would recommend um, that, you know, people are going to a doctor or a treatment provider and, and mentioning the issues that they're having. It's not enough for them to just tell their employer, look, I can't stare at a screen. Um, um, because I got headaches. They, there needs to be some substance to that claim. And the substance is, you know, a doctor's note um, or a note from uh, your treating practitioner. Um, and if, um, if it's reasonable, and then, the, then that's when the employer, it triggers the employer's duty to, you know, investigate it, ask for any further information that they might need. And then look to the workplace to see how they can accommodate that. But it's it's typically not enough for them to just for the employee to just say, "Look, I, I have a headache. A headache's an invisible thing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, or like actually, most concussion symptoms are invisible things, if not mm -hmm. all of them. Mm -hmm. um, which is why concussions specifically are so tricky. But um, that, that's why uh, when when people do sustain a concussion and there is this potential. Uh, conflict that might happen with their employer, it's very important that they're going um, 
they're going to medical practitioners who will then document those complaints. And let's say, like, I'm just wondering about these accommodations and how far these extend. And I mean, obviously it's a case by case basis, so you can't necessarily tell me specifically, you know, what may and may not fly, but, you know, let's say you use the screen example and this person's supposed to be working eight hours a day, they can only tolerate three. And there's like, you know, you're working in an office setting. There's no other jobs that don't involve a screen. Like how far, you know, are you able to take it? Like, is this just come to the point where, look, you just can't work, you're on disability or what does this apply even to return to work? Because a lot of times we try to get patients back into the workforce and we recommend, you know, look, they need to start with like one hour a day, three days a week. And oftentimes employers will say, look, I can't do that. And, you know, is that, I think that's reasonable. Like, what would you say to that? Yeah. So I think that all comes down to uh, the point of undue hardship, right? Like um, you're asking the employer to accommodate by allowing the uh, employee to come back, you know, a couple hours a day, three days per week, or whatever it might be. And if the employer is saying no, well, then the question is, um, um, would they be able to, like, would making that accommodation cause them to suffer undue hardship? And there's, there's different factors that you look at um, when considering um, the point of undue hardship. And those factors are the safety of those involved in the accommodation. So if an accommodation request um, creates a safety risk for that employee or other employees, that's a consideration to make, whether you've reached the point of undue hardship with that accommodation request. Uh, financial cost of making that accommodation. So, you know, let's say, let's say someone uh, has a back injury and yeah, they need a special chair that costs five million bucks. You know, and that's the only chair <laughs> that's and it some can't chair. be accommodated any that's other some chair. <laughs> any other way. Um, then that then that would be something to uh, that might reach the point of undue hardship if the employer has to take on that financial burden and that would cause them um, some some issues. Um, other considerations are the interchangeability of the workforce or facilities. So if it's as easy as saying, okay, you don't have to do this job out in the field, but you can, we have an office that you can sit in the office and, and do that job. Mm-hmm. And then also the morale of other employees. So if the, um, if the accommodation is going to cause, you know, widespread you know, disappointment among employees and really affect the morale, that's some other, that's, that's another factor to consider uh, when the courts are taking a look at, okay, should the employer have a co- uh, accommodated or was it reasonable for them to turn down that request to only work a couple hours per week. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's um, a question. So those are, it, it's, and again, like you said, it's a case by case. Every case is specific. Um, it, it's all case by case and it's all very factor. Uh, like it's specific to the factors of each, of each case. Right. Uh, someone in the chat here asked, can an employer request a particular frequency of reevaluation? I think as long as it's reasonable, um, then that should be fine. And um, I, I should say that it's typically, it's not the employer who's doing the evaluation. It's more that the employee is providing evidence to support the fact that they're having the concussion symptoms or the disability. Um, and as long an employer can ask for, you know, can we get an updated doctor's note or an update on your status as long as it's reasonable if it's every other day 
um, you know, to, and keeping the pressure on and it's, and they're really, um, you know, acting unreasonable, then, you know, push comes to shove and they, they fire someone because they haven't provided a new doctor's note within three days. And that's something that a uh, court would look at and say, okay, they're being unreasonable here. But mm -hmm. if it's every like couple months or a few months where they ask for an update, um, I think that's generally, that's generally fine. What about pay reduction? So let's say that the accommodation you need is like, well, you can only work two hours a day uh, to start, you know, and they're like, well, we're only going to pay you for two hours a day. Is that, is that legit? Or is that like, well, I guess it depends on your pay structure or what your contract says. Yeah, it depends on a lot of things. Um, it also depends on whether um, whether the employment has um, available to them short-term or long-term disability, which is a whole other thing. But um, if if the employees reduced work, um, you know, they're only getting they're getting paid less because they're working less. Then um, some employers have you know benefits available to them. Through short-term or long-term disability benefits that would supplement that that uh, difference. But again, it comes down to um, like the the undue hardship. Some disabilities, a lot of disabilities and a lot of concussions, there is no accommodation. And the accommodation is you got to allow the employee to stay home. You know they can't come into work, and then the employer has to hire someone else and uh, to fill the role. And, and, um, and that happens all the time. I have lots of clients in those situations that they've been injured, injured in an accident or whatever the case might be. They can't uh, return to work. And then it's like, can the employer uh, withstand them not showing up to work? And oftentimes, you know, oftentimes they can if it's a big enough employer. And, and, um, and, and yeah, that, that's uh, uh, an accommodation that can be made in a lot of cases, but it has to be, uh, supported by some medical evidence or a doctor's note or, or whatever the case might be. Can an accommodation be to give somebody a lesser role? Um, you know, for, for example, so I had, I had a patient, this is, this is, a, um, you know, maybe a couple of years ago now, but um, he worked kind of on a, on, on a factory supply line and um, he had just got a promotion. So he got on, he got, he was, he was on the line, like, you know, doing kind of quality control assessment stuff on the line, making sure that, you know, products were going through properly and discarding, you know, um, flawed products and things. And then he got bumped up to a manager role, which he was kind of like at the switchboard controlling all the different lines and had a bunch of different computer screens and was monitoring a whole bunch of processes. And he had just done his training for that. And he hadn't actually really dug into that role, gets a concussion. He's off for six months. And now when he's trying to go back, he's like completely out of touch with everything that he had learned during his training. And he's never actually done that role. And, but the employer wouldn't let him return to his old job to basically work his way back up. It was basically like, no, this is your job and you can't come back until you're able to do this job. But even at that, I mean, that's, that it's, it's a, it's a, it's apparently difficult job for anybody to do and requires like some onboard training, which they'd already given them. So, you know, this is just yeah. a one-off case yes. for you, but yeah. So, I mean, there's lots of different, uh, there's lots of different legal, uh, topics that are being touched on in that specific case, but I would say like, um, there is a concept uh, in Ontario anyway of uh, constructive dismissal. And that's um, where um, 
typically, an employer has basically unilaterally changed the terms or the, the fundamental or a fundamental term of the employment relation relationship to a point where um, they made a substantial change to a fundamental term of the relationship. And, and a, the fundamental terms of the relationship include things like um, duties and compensation and hours of work and, um, and things like that. So if an employer tries to say, okay, um, we're gonna change your role completely and do a lesser role, uh, that can be considered uh, a fundamental change in uh, the employment contract and can be deemed a dismissal in and of itself. Uh, and it, it's treated as though the employee has been terminated from their employment. Um, yeah, so you're basically just to like, try to make this a little bit um, more layman terms, I guess. Is, so it's yeah. basically like you're, you're almost forcing them out by changing their role to the point where it's, it's unacceptable. It's no longer what they had agreed to do when they signed that employment contract. It's not, it's not uh, the same job that they signed up for, right. and it's worse. Right. And in that case, you know, it's basically a termination of their last, uh, of the position that they had. Mm -hmm. If an employee goes along with it and they're like, okay, I'm not happy, but I'll, I'll, continue, I'll do this lesser job, then that can be seen as them accepting that role. Right. In those situations, again, this is specific to Ontario, um, the employee has to basically resign at that point. They have to say, mm -hmm. okay, I'm not doing this. I consider this uh, a dismissal, a termination of my employment, and I'm not doing it. And then there's typically a legal uh, battle over what they are entitled to, because upon termination, an employee is entitled to different amounts of um, compensation. And if, and if the rule has changed so much that it's deemed a termination, but if it's a constructive dismissal, then they're entitled to compensation as though they've been terminated. Mm. Okay, so, and that's the, like, if you are, again, if, you, if you're in a situation where you're injured um, and exactly that, you're, you're, you're struggling with your employer to find a solution and they just change your duties completely, including your compensation, that's when you need to start thinking about getting a lawyer consulting with a lawyer because because a lot of people don't know this right they don't mm. know what their rights are and, and mm -hmm. what happens if if those duties change and there is uh, an analysis that you have to kind of you have to consider okay how much did those duties change was it a pay decrease of one dollar per hour or was it a pay decrease of ten dollars an hour and, and where is the line and that's kind of where um where it's important to get a lawyer involved and, and at least you know seek an opinion um in those cases so here's another one here from the from the chat if an employer wants to distinguish the injury as permanent versus temporary i don't think the employer would distinguish that i think it would be a medical press personnel just says it's permanent versus temporary do they have the law applied differently do things change if now you're now you're talking about a permanent disability yeah so that's actually that's a good question um so at some point um the at some point, the contract can be deemed void, like it's where no one is required to um, to live up to the terms of, of the contract. And if 
if there's suggestion that uh, an employee's incapacity or disability is permanent or otherwise shows no indication of allowing them to return to their job, then the contract is deemed void um, and the employer is, they're not obligated to pay them out any termination. It's just the, the employment contract ends. But there has to be proof that this employee is never getting back to, to their job. That's called, uh, yeah, it's called frustration of contract. And it does happen. Like if someone, if someone has a physical job and let's say they get in an accident and they're just like, they become a quadriplegic or something mm -hmm. like that. There's absolutely no prospect that that person is going mm. to, to get back to work. So in, in that situation um, where there's three considerations, uh, where the performance of the ability to perform the contract is radically changed. So in a quadriplegic, they, they cannot perform their duties. Um, it's not the fault of either party. Um, and um, that that uh, event um, is not adequately considered by the contract. In those circumstances, it's uh, the contract's been frustrated and um, you kind of just like wipe your hands clean and go your separate ways. And in, and in that situation, the person would be basically on just permanent disability. Right. So, yeah. And depending on your jurisdiction, depending where you are, there's different options uh, available to uh, people who, who do suffer injury and can't work. Um, as I've already mentioned, a lot of employers um, do have uh, short term or long term disability programs available to employees who do suffer you know, injury or any disability for that matter uh, that prevents them from being able to work. Uh, typically short-term disability is anywhere from, lasts for a couple months and, and compensates the employee anywhere from 80 to 100% of their income. And then after those few months, um, long-term disability kicks in and that's anywhere from uh, around 60 to 80% of the the income. So uh, if an employee, if they're, if they're not returning to work, they can apply for those benefits. Uh, they can also in Ontario apply for employment insurance sickness benefits, which provides some, um, some income. They can apply for CPP disability. Um, so if the worker is between 18 and 65 years old, uh, they suffer a severe and prolonged disability and they have contributed to CPP through their employment um, in four of the last six years leading up to the disability, they can get compensation that way. Um, there's also ODSP, which is Ontario Disability Support Program, but in each jurisdiction, there are government benefits or there sometimes are private benefits available to somebody, uh, which they should seek out because um, it's uh, the employer's not gonna pay them for the entire time that they're off. Right, right. Um, now, yeah. now let's go back to um, the, the accommodation standpoint, right? Because I feel that a lot of patients are, you know, kind of get screwed on this. Like I've seen it time and time again, where it's like, this person wants to get back to work and the employer is basically saying all or none, right? You're either back full-time or you're not. And if you can't make it back, then 
you know, that's too bad. You can't come back until you're ready to come back. And so for us, especially as clinicians, trying to figure out a way to get this person back, you know, there's, there's certain professionals like occupational therapy that will actually kind of try to recreate the job, I, you know, and, and, and have them, you know, work at that to, to develop those skills and, you know, get in a position where they can kind of jump right in. But a lot of times you have to be on the job. So if you have an employer that's not allowing for accommodations, like what's your recourse? Cause a lot of people may not have a lawyer when they go into this, right. They may be just going through it and they're just fighting their own battle with, you know, some, some, you know, jerk firm that's not allowing them to, um, to, to have these accommodations. What's the recourse? What should they do? How do they, you know, what should, how should they go about that? Right. So they should, um, go to their doctor and they should get a doctor's note that they present to their employer. And if the employer is still saying, um, you know, you have to, you know, you have to come into work, we'll give you a week off, but you have to return to your full duties, full hours after that week. Uh, and you still present them with a doctor's note and they say, they don't, you know, too bad. Um, then you just, sit pretty and your only option is to really i mean you can try to tough it out but that'll probably you're going against doctor's orders and you're probably making things worse but you just um you wait for them to terminate you basically um and then your recourse is um you can um bring a claim against them for uh discrimination you can claim under the human rights code or if they haven't met their obligations in um, termination pay, you could um, start a claim against them for that and bring in a human rights component. Uh, but you, you don't really have any act, you kind of leave it to your employer and hope that your employer is going to be acting in good faith and, and taking the, the medical documents into consideration. It's, it's another thing, yeah, for your, for your listeners who are clinicians that they need to consider, you know, um, reviewing the medical documentation and, and making their own analysis of um, how can we accommodate this person um, uh, to the point of undue hardship, to the, you know, where we're not going to um, suffer too much financially or put others' safety at risk. Um, it's a dangerous game for an employer to, uh, you know, in the, face of a, in the face of a doctor's note, say, okay, you got to come back to work. A lot of times employers don't even have all the medical information, um, you know, an employee's entire, they don't have the employee's medical, entire medical file, you know, mm -hmm. they're not necessarily entitled to, to, uh, to know the, the employee's entire medical history. The doctor does know that. So if the doctor has that history and is uh, writing this note, um, uh, you know, that they, they can't return to work or they should be returning on a modified basis then, you know, the, the employer should really, uh, they need to put some significant weight to that and, and try to accommodate as best they can. Otherwise they face, they face some, some legal repercussions for sure. So what you're saying then, like prior to that, so if somebody, if, if you're not getting the accommodations you need and the employer is basically like all or none, and you're like, well, I can't do it. You have to sit there and wait till they terminate you before like you can't what about going and getting legal representation to go and and file a suit based on that like some people can't afford to just sit around and wait to be terminated because they that what if the employer is just like i'm waiting for you to come back like let me know well, when you're ready when, kind of thing. when when they're off 
they can, that's when they should be applying for those benefits that we talked about. You know, mm -hmm. if they do have the short term because their employer is not going to pay them, mm -hmm. um, but they should apply for those benefits if they think they're going to be off for, for a long time. And if they, and with their employer pressuring them, that should uh, trigger to the employee that, you know, this might not end well, and this might end in some litigation. And that's when they should really be focusing on um, documenting things to their medical providers and going to see their wh whoever's treating them for their for their concussion. You know, like we said, a concussion is like it, it's a very tricky injury. Um, it's tricky for a few reasons. First is that it's invisible, like we've said. There's no way to. It's difficult to prove. It's not like it's going to come up on an X-ray, mm -hmm. right? Um, so. You have to go by what the medical records show, and if it if it is going to get to the point of litigation, then those medical records are going to come out, and you're going to see how often, you know, Johnny is complaining to his his family doctor or his uh, medical provider about his concussion symptoms. If if he's going to his doctor every week, if Johnny sees his doctor on January 26, 2022. Uh, you know, complaining of nausea while staring at a computer screen. His work requires him to look at a screen. And then on January 27th, his employer fires him uh, because he refuses to look at a computer screen. Then when when it push comes to shove and, and you're going through the litigation, that's going to come out that, you know, he was he was uh, consistently, um, you know, it, his condition was so bad that he was consistently going to his doctor and seeking treatment. And even despite that, his employer, you know, cans him the next day. So those are those are things that employees should be doing if they see some some sort of conflict on the horizon. You can contact the lawyer, but the lawyer is going to like they're still employed until they're terminated, right? Mm -hmm. there, there's nothing to really there's nothing to really do, um, mm -hmm. you know, until that termination happens or until the the change in the role happens where, where they're constructively dismissed. Mm -hmm. and, but, and at that point, if they are terminated while on leave, um, then that's discrimination because the employer has refused to accommodate to the point of undue hardship and they've just terminated them. What if they don't terminate them? What if they just say, we're not accommodating any accommodations you need? Like that seems like if there's a duty to accommodate and they're not accommodating to me, it's like, there should be something I can do to like, say, look, I need to try and get back here. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that that's the employer. The accommodation would be the employers letting them stay home basically. Mm. Right. Um, there, there is no, their, their disability is of such a severity that there is no accommodation to be made short of undue hardship. Um, but it's still there's still a prospect that it's going to get better you know like like i said because it because if they're permanently disabled and there's no prospect that, that they're coming back then that's a frustration of contract and the employer has no duties or responsibilities but um if the employee is completely unable to work today but you know their doctor's saying with therapy whatever the therapy might be, things might improve over the next few months, um, then the employer has to accept that. You know, they have to 
allow the person to stay home and recover as long as allowing them to stay home and recover doesn't cause them undue hardship. Mm -hmm. One, like one issue, like one big problem area that I see all the time is with teachers because you have, you have readily available people on the supply list to, to run and fill those roles when people are injured. And uh, like, I think that, you know, a proper like protocol of getting a teacher back into the classroom would require them to go and, you know, observe another teacher for, a, for a, an hour or two a day to kind of get used to the noises and the movement and the whatever, but not necessarily have that role. But for some reason, it's, it's difficult for teachers to get those types of accommodations. So it's like they're stuck on the sidelines and not able to even go in and like shadow. And those are one of the roles where it's like an all or none position that it's like they'll just keep yeah. you sitting on they'll just keep you sitting on the sidelines collecting disability right and it's like yeah. you're not you're not allowing me the opportunity to do what i need to do to 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 get back to where i need to get back to because you're you know you're putting up a wall and not allowing it so it's like how am i going to get used to being in a classroom without being in a classroom you know yeah. um so teachers is a unique t- teachers would fall they're typically they're unionized so in those circumstances, you'd have to go through your union and, and depending on the collective bargaining agreement, see what recourse you have. But yeah, like what you're saying is that, um, correct me if I'm wrong. So someone's got a concussion and their employer's preventing them from getting back to any aspect of their job. Just, it's, um, it's basically all or none. Like if, you, if you're ready to take back over your classroom right now, like full eight hour days, five days a week, then okay, let's go. But if you're like, no, I, I can only do two hours a, a day for the first two weeks, and then I can bump it to three hours per day. Like it's difficult for them. I can understand to juggle schedules like that. You know, one thing I've recommend is you're go, go in there and shadow the supply that's in there with you and just kind of help them out. So you have two teachers working one classroom for a few hours a day. You're getting back into it without having the full responsibility. So if you have an increase in symptoms, headaches, kick up, dizziness kicks up throughout the day, you can duck out and not leave your class high and dry. And I mean, to me, that sounds reasonable, but whether or not, you know, now who pays for that, where, you know, you have, you're paying two teachers <laughs> to manage one classroom and, you yeah. know, I don't, I don't know. It, it comes back to that duty to accommodate, you know, like if uh, they can't be treated, if the accommodation is to allow the person to, you know, work a couple hours a day and doing that won't cause them undue hardship, then the employer needs to accommodate, make that mm-hmm. accommodation. The employer would have to prove that by paying those two teachers a day, it would cause more than an insignificant amount of um, risk to safety or their financial, the board's financial stability, or it sounds ridiculous. Right. It won't, but yeah. you take into consideration those, those different things when, when you're considering undue hardship. Um, but the, but that also like, it makes me think of, um, the other unique thing about concussions is that it's, it's such a spectrum and a wide range of symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's, you can be prevented from doing physical tasks as well as, you know, tasks that require your mental capacity. Um, whereas other, other injuries aren't really like that. Like, um, you know, I, I have, I have clients like who do physical jobs and they get an accident and they break their leg, 
you know, they can't go back to their job, but because they, they can't walk around or lift or whatever the case might be on their broken leg, but their employer says, well, you can go back to the office. Why don't you do a desk job until your leg heals up? And that's, that's typically okay. You know, mm-hmm. you can work at a desk with a broken leg um, in most cases, <laughs> but with a concussion, it's like, not only is the concussion debilitating to uh, your ability to do the, um, you know, the physical aspects of your job, you're standing there with headaches and dizziness and nausea, whatever the case might be. But if your employer then goes and assigns you to a desk job, you can't do that either. You can't concentrate, you can't stare at a screen. So, and I think teaching is a similar thing. Teaching is one of those jobs that, you know, there's physical aspects and you do obviously need your your mental capacities. Like, so um, it, it's, it, it's a tricky, a concussion is a very difficult and stressful and um, you know it, it's it's a tough injury to to sustain because it affects it affects so many aspects of your life. There's like mm-hmm. there might not necessarily be relief, um, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so so that's why depending on the job and depending on where you land on the spectrum of symptoms, um, especially with a concussion, it's important to you know be be documenting those symptoms to your doctor. Uh, and then if there, you are unsure, find a lawyer, uh, an employment lawyer, or an injury lawyer and see you know, what your rights are, what your obligations are, and what you should be keeping an eye out for. A lot of people are um, concerned about you know, the, the costs that may be associated with that. Do, do employment lawyers, injury lawyers, do they typically allow for free consultations? Or is that like, I mean, everyone's going to be different, obviously, but like... Yeah. What's the, yeah, what's the it depends, typical? It, it depends. Um, it really depends on the firm. I, I don't want to speak for other firms. Um, I can say like with, with our firm, um, we do, we do personal injury and employment uh, law. Um, and we typically work off a contingency, which means uh, we're paid a percentage of any amount that we're, we recover on your behalf instead of being paid an hourly rate. Um, that, that's how we operate. And I think typically personal injury firms operate on a contingency. I don't know about most employment firms, but we kind of, uh, use the same model in the employment, um, in employment disputes, but like the, the personal injury and employment disputes, they kind of go hand in hand because a lot of our clients, you know, there'll be people who are injured in a car accident or, you know, a slip and fall or whatever the case might be. And then they can't work, you know, or, you know, they need accommodation at work and their employer's not accommodating them or their employer's telling them to come back to work and they can't go back to work. And their employer, they provide a doctor's note and the employer says, I don't care, you're fired. Then that opens that whole can of worms of an employment dispute. So a lot of the times, you know, these personal injury claims, unfortunately, come along with uh, an employment claim um so that that's why we uh, operate on a contingency basis it kind of bled in our our framework our fee structure uh, was with the personal injury it was a contingency with the personal injury but um i don't know i can't speak for other firms i i, I don't know what the norm is in other jurisdictions either 
So how early, like how early should you get uh, a lawyer involved? Should it be waiting for termination or should you, I mean, I guess as early as you see. You You could, as far as, as far as I'm concerned, you can call me. If, if someone is injured and their ability to work is affected in any way, even if their employer is accommodating them, you know, if an, if, if, a lawyer who does employment law is offering free consultations. Give them a call. Mm-hmm. You know, even even before the dispute arises, you'll be you'll be in a much better situation when it does get to contentious. If you've already spoken to a lawyer and they're saying and, and they've already advised you, you know, speak. To, you should be speaking to a doctor every two weeks or every month or mm-hmm. at least at a consistent basis, so that if it does get to that point then um, you're prepared and you have all your ducks in a row. Um, and I do that all the time. Like I, I'll speak with people, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, kind of guide them. And I'll say, you know, check up with me in a couple months. Let me know how it's going. And, and oftentimes it does get, it does get contentious um, because the employee can't work and the employer obviously needs them to work. Um, so, you know, we're there when when it gets to that point so i would say if a lawyer is advertising or puts on their website consultations are free take advantage of it they're not Mm. they can't charge you if they're saying that give them a call right and and it's good for them because it might turn into you might be a client down the road you know they're happy to at least we're happy to help but uh, (laughs) but uh but yeah i i don't see a downside in and speaking to a lawyer even before there is a dispute with your employer. You know, you want to be prepared. Um, yeah, sure. I would agree. Cause I think what happens a lot of times is people don't realize what kind of documentation they need. And then they're in a battle and they don't have the right ducks in a row and they end up getting, you know, screwed over by it. Um, yeah. Or, or you even mentioned that situation where the guy's roles, the, his role changed significantly, yeah. you know? And, and like I said, if, if, in Ontario, if you just go with that role change and then six months pass and then you, you think to yourself, oh, wait, like, were they even allowed to do this six months ago? You're probably out of luck in yeah, terms of getting some sort of uh, compensation or some sort of recourse for the employer uh, changing your, your role. So so if, if in the context of an injury, um, I think I would err on the side of speaking to a lawyer as soon as you can, even before, uh, you know, any conflict arises with, with your employer. Anything else to add? I think we've, uh, we've covered a lot of ground there. Do you have anything else I that think you think that, we've missed or? Um, not that I can think of. I think we covered it all, but, um, but yeah, I, I would just say, um, I would just say that if you are unsure of your, uh, of your rights, or if you're, you're dealing with a concussion, um, you know, the physical and the psychological issues that come with that and the uncertainty that comes with, you know, not being able to do your job, then then speak to a lawyer and make sure you're speaking to your doctor or your, your medical provider because all that's important. No one has a crystal ball and can foresee that, or no one wants to get in a dispute with their employer, but it does happen. You don't think it, it'll be you, but, it, but I see it all the time. Um, so, but yeah, that, that's all, that's all I'd add. And just, um, yeah, just thanks for, for the opportunity uh, 
the camera. It was fun. And, and uh, yeah, I look forward to the next one for sure. For sure. All right, everybody. That was Lewis Quayle. You can find him. You can send him an email at lquail. That's Q-U-A-I-L at qwklawyers.com. His office is 416-795-0683. And his website is qwklawyers.com. Your boy, Dougie Licious here is messaging you. So uh... I'll, I'll just, I'll give him a call. Thanks, everybody. All right, guys. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a review. Have questions about concussion management for future episodes? Submit them to our website, Facebook, or even Instagram. See you next time.